Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we are a charitable show. So for every question any guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. We are presently helping out homeless LGBT plus teens, women and children in domestic abuse shelters, and more. For more information, visit me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And I want to give a big shout out to my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support, because as you know, the more and more guests we get, the more and more service space we need, the more and more we want to keep this open and free for all. So for as little as a dollar a month, you're able to help do that. You can find that more information, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording, ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you do in fact see any snippets leaked online, please report those to the webmaster. Now today's episode, we have two very special guests. We have returning guest Johnny Douglas, who many of you know, has produced and worked with George Michael, Kylie Minogue, and so many others. Today, we're gonna break down his work with Kylie Minogue for Red-Blooded Woman. And we also have Seb Clark from Sunstreet. Now that name sounds familiar to many of you who have listened to previous episodes, because we talked about that with artist Forrest Looper. So be sure if you are a an artist, a songwriter, or a producer, if you're trying to figure out your way in technology in the world, please be sure to listen to this episode in its entirety for part one of my exclusive interview with Seb Clark, and we'll give some information on how to follow them. But we're going to get right to this. Once again, my name is James Rodriguez, and this is The Original Doc. Everyone, I would like to welcome back to the original doll, our guest producer superstar, and what Tina from Austin, Texas refers to as Daddy Douglas, the producer. Daddy <laughs> Douglas, the producer. I didn't want to tell you that. Ahead of time. I was like, there you go. I want you to welcome back Tina. John the Tina, Tina from Texas. Tina. <laughs> where's, where's Tina from Texas? Texas. <laughs> Texas Tina. Wow. Big wow. I, I, thank you very much for that, Texas Tina. The- I, I've never been called that before, but hey, I'm, I can accept that with open arms. Big up Texas. <laughs> From now on, I love it. I love it. Uh, everyone, I'd like to welcome back Johnny Douglas to the original Dow James Rodriguez. Johnny, thank you so much for, we've been chatting up for a while, but thank you so much for joining Pleasure. me again. It's almost becoming my show. I'm, I'm planning on ousting you out and uh, just taking over the whole operation. It'd be uh, yeah, English though. Gonna be the original doll with Daddy Douglas. <laughs> I'm like a wrestler. The, I sound like I'm in WWF or something. I, or I think I saw you online somewhere. Six foot six and yeah, six foot six, <laughs> Delaware. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I love it. All right, uh, everyone. For the first time, listeners, for every question that Johnny answers, we get items donated to charity. We go behind the scenes of so many songs, and today we're gonna talk about. Kylie Minogue's Body Language album, which came out November 2003, and many people may say in the United States, it was one of those staggered releases, so we got it at the beginning of 2004. So, Johnny, we've already learned about like how you got started with music and everything. Now, let's fast forward to this, because I have a ton of questions with people going, how did you get involved in Body Language? For those people who might not know if you worked with Kylie before anything, 
So that yeah. sort of thing. How did you get involved in this? And also, did you get told that they were going for this kind of 80s inspired vibey thing or groovy thing? Like what sort of things were you told when you were working on this project? Um, well, I, I got involved because they, well, basically the record company asked me to, um, which is how it always kind of goes. If the record company wants you to do something, you do it. And if they don't want you to do something, they don't ask you and you don't do it. You know, it's very much like that. So they asked me, I'd obviously done the Light Years album. I tend, you know, I did the Light Years album, then I didn't do the one that came after Light Years, and then I think Bodyland came up. Yeah, so that's kind of how it kind of goes. And they, they, there was this, there's always a brief. So we've kind of like Light Years, it was very much like, you know, we want to make a fun, vivacious, retro disco-y flavoured kind of thing um, a little bit camp all those kinds of things so you kind of get a brief of, of what you kind of start to kind of create from with body language um, and the brief always comes from the record company I think a lot of people will kind of think that that Kylie is this mastermind orchestrator that will kind of come in and go right bitches I want to do this and then we're going to do that we're going to do that <laughs> This is what's happening. Let's go. She's not. She's a very kind of placid. Where do you want me? How would you want me to do it? What are we doing mm-hmm. next? Kind of thing. So the brief always came from the labels, and the brief, <laughs> the brief was hip hop with glitter. Yeah, hip hop with glitter. Yeah, that was the brief. So from that, I can kind of go. I, I, you know, it's actually quite visual. I can actually kind of go, okay. So that was that was basically how I started creating. And I think we did, I think we did like two or three demos. I got a little bit confused in my old age. So now we know it was hip hop with glitter. And for those listeners who might not have heard our previous conversations, please go back through on Apple or Spotify for Johnny's other episodes because. I, we learn early on as listeners that hip hop, urban music, you know, what we used to call urban and everything, you know, 90s really had an influence on you. So this to me yeah. makes sense. And also it's kind of cool because it's like if you did this disco album, then the next project you'd work with her was the complete opposite. This mm. is the part where I kind of I've always loved the natural progression of Kylie Minogue's projects Yeah, where let's not repeat rinse repeat you know that sort of thing so now what i want to do is go to this do you remember the first because like i said on this album the ones that you produced uh there's actually a couple and we're going to get into the the little um the details of this but red-blooded woman and chocolate both were singles cruise control was on certain editions of the album and then also production credits on secret promises and obsession so do you recall of the songs that you worked on, what was that first one that you started creating? What of those songs? Or was it something that didn't make the album? No, it was it was uh, Red Blooded Woman and then Chocolate. And then um, the lovely Karen Paul came in and we wrote uh, wrote those two. And, and literally that was it. And then we kind of went into we kind of went into recording. Um, the other the other song credits I had is because the album was finished in Spain in a residential studio. So I kind of did the vocal production on those kind of other songs, but I didn't, 
I think because like you know, Katie's Mantronic at the time, he was over in the States and people were kind of dotted about all over the world. So rather than flying all these different people in or flying Kylie to different countries, uh, we all kind of relocated to Spain for like three weeks in this residential studio, which was very hard to work in because it was so hot and it had a pool. And I don't think I'd been on holiday for about 10 years by that point. So the, the temptation to do nothing was great. Uh, and I had to make a record. But um, yeah, that's why I've got those credits on those other things, because I did all the vocals and I didn't mix them. I don't know. Maybe I did, Karen. But yeah, I did the vocal production. So we had, Leslie had asked, when you're vocal producing somebody, how do you make sure that the vocals are exactly what the original producer needed? That's actually something that's interesting because you coming in, you know what I mean? The, the music, let's say, is laid down. What role does the vocal producer truly play in the creation of this where the original yeah. producers or somebody might say, wait, this is a different, you know what I mean? Like, can you explain to us? Well, I guess it's, I guess a lot of the time when people do demos for people, um, a lot of the time it's it's the actual co-writer that's, that's singing the vocal on the demo. A lot of the time, like in the early days, I'd have to get session singers in for every single thing. But then they became like this current um, trend, which is still very prevalent to this day, that like the, the co-writer can also sing. So they put the vocal on. And a lot of the time you tend to find that the writers who um, are getting songs cut with certain people are able to do a pretty good impersonation of the person that the song's originally for. So... I think it's the same with, like, say, like Esther Dean and Rihanna. She can sound exactly like Rihanna on all their demos. And then the label gets an idea of what actually Rihanna would sound like. And it's very much the same, you know, with, say, like Karen, Karen Pulp, and they're a great Kylie kind of style vocal. They're of a similar kind of vocal style. So by hearing Karen's vocal, you can kind of imagine, it's not a big jump to imagine that being replaced with, with Kylie kind of doing it. And I think that was the same with all the kind of demos, the other songs that I kind of did. Um, the singers were all in a kind of similar ballpark on the demos because a lot of the time they would have been writing specifically for Kylie and that project. So it's not kind of like you'd kind of get this emo goth kind of singer doing this vocal and I've got a kind of imagine what it would be like you know i mean it's 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 pretty straightforward it's not like someone's coming like some singing in tongues or whatever <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to imagine what kylie would be like on it it's, so you it's, use those like the the demo vocals or the songwriter vocals as kind of the reference to what they yeah got yeah it. i mean that's that's kind of how you learn the song because i've got to learn know the song inside out and so obviously would, would Kylie, but then when Kylie gets onto the microphone, you just kind of forget what the original demo was and you've got the song kind of locked into your head. So then you can just focus on Kylie's vocal. And the majority of the time with someone like Kylie, like Kylie's of like, he's of like a great standard. Like she can, she, she sings in the studio, like as you, as she does it live all the time, and the, and she's a she's a pro, so it's not like she goes in and she's terrible, and I've got to be guiding her. She just literally mm -hmm. does it, and 
I think with singers like that, you don't necessarily have to give them this constant feedback and this constant guidance to kind of get it the way that you want it. They can just almost just go on to pro-level autopilot and just do it. And mm. it's very rarely is it kind of off where I kind of go, oh, no, you've totally got a, the wrong concept of what this song is about. We need to be doing it like this. Like Carly is what she is and she's really, really good at it. So, um, yeah, it wasn't hard. The, the, the hard problem was the, you know, 101 degrees heat outside and, this was the was. summer before that album came out. This yeah. was like months before the album came out. Yeah, it was the height of summer in Spain. And there was Oof. there was loads of us. There was like Kylie, there was Oliver Martinez, her boyfriend. He was interested. And Kylie's PA with me. There was Dave, my engineer, assistant, Pro Tools guy. And then a guy called Trevor who owns the studio. And the kind of some chefs and people. So it was it was kind of loads of us encamped in this house in the mountains of Spain, like overlooking the kind of sea. And it was very hard to go, hey, let's go and do some vocals and everyone's in the pool or like sunbathing. And you've got to kind of go work mode. Oh, it was it was hard going. I'm telling you, it, was, it's, 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 it sounds like fun, but it's actually like anything that's a distraction to me is always a uh, uh, and it makes it so much harder. And it was it was it was hard work because you just don't want to work because the mm. environment is set up for you not to work. You know what I mean? That's that's why people go on holiday. So it'd be like going on holiday and then you lie on the beach for half an hour and it's like, right, I've got to go and I don't know, build a house and off you go. It's like you're not gonna to want to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like uh, it was it was hard going, but yeah, it was fun. See, there fun you anyway. go. So so for your songs, Red Blooded Woman, Chocolate, and Cruise Control, which was the first that you got started? And you know what I mean? Like, which one was the first where you kind of like figured it out? Or were they all kind of done simultaneously? I'd, I'd made the tracks to to all of them. I'd, I'd made, I'd, I'd already kind of made like a batch, batch of tracks, maybe like 10 instrumentals. And... Uh, yeah, I'd kind of play them to Karen and she'd be kind of seeing which one she's vibing with. Red Blooded Woman was was definitely the first one. And then and then Chocolate kind of came after it. And then so, I can I can I can, I can I can remember Karen kind of going and I just kind of jumped up and I'm like yeah! you know what I mean? it's like one of those one of those moments where it just kind of flows. Um yeah, that was it was a lot of fun. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about Red Blooded Woman.
Now, Red-Blooded Woman ended up being released as the second single after Slow. Was Slow, and Slow was only released like a week or two prior to the album being released. How early on did you know that there was going, because since you were involved in, what, six or seven of these tracks ultimately for the project, how early on did you know, okay, the first single was picked and were like, were they still working on other songs? And then at what point did you know Red-Blooded Woman was going to be the second single? Because this was still at the time where they kind of had a promotional idea, like first single out, we're ramping yeah. up to the second single. I think I think I'd already been played slur before I'd even even started my tracks. Oh, wow. Um, I think I'd already, I was already very much, I think, aware of it from what I remember. And I had to try and not let that be an indicator of where I should kind of go with it because it was quite an avant-garde kind of record that was kind of out on its own and was kind of very different to the brief that I'd been given. So I had to try and stick to the brief and not focus too much on 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 slur. Because um, ironically, it was quick. It was a quick, very quick record. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. <laughs> um, and it was cool, you know, I liked it, but it's just it was just different to what the brief that I was. I had to try and keep it, you know, within those kind of hip hop tempers, but somehow figure out what musical glitter was, which is yeah, always a bit of a challenge. But yeah, so I I kind of kept it in in more of that downbeat kind of kind of area anyway. And I actually had a question. It was from Trevor from Oklahoma. He asked, Trevor. "Can you please answer this once and for all? Is she singing La 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 or Ah 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 in Red Blooded Woman?" Well, in the middle bit. Yeah, it's La. Which that's like the most Kylie, like Britney with Baby, like then it's Kylie with like Laws. I think she even named a book like La 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 sort of thing. Yeah, it's just, well, yeah, it's just Kylie's just a Lara. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just that thing. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Na 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 would have really kind of made any sense. Like Na 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 Na, Red Bird Woman. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was just Lars. When I think of Kylie, I think of Lars. What is that? sort of thing happening with her voice in these parts because people have noticed when I've said put on buy the the full version of it by the Apple iTunes version of it and put the headphones on so people are noticing these things that they didn't notice before and the thing that I know about your work and talking to you is that it's not as simple as thinking there are three things happening in that track yeah. there are always these little easter egg things popping up and around so I'm going to play this part again <laughs> Is that you going in the back yeah. sort of thing? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing like a, there's a, a there's a constant uh, like beatbox loop that's kind of running a double time thing because actually with, with Red Bloody Woman, it, like you could actually make like a great house record out of it because it's 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 half time, 
Whereas like you could kind of be like, it could be like a club anthem if that's what the label would have wanted. Um, so there's like a double time beatbox scratchy kind of thing that I was kind of doing at the time that I just did loads of it and then made little vocal loops that are running double time underneath the drums. So that's kind of um, running all the way through it. And I think the compression pulls it up and down. It probably overcompressed it and it kind of pulls it up and down when she's not singing. So the public thinks, what the fuck's that noise? It's like me kind of going, kind of doing all this kind of like madness that I kind of used to do back then. Well, and that's one of those cool things because all these listeners were asking like, because they said that's something that they took for granted, whether they were listening to this in a club or watching it on TRL or top of the, anything like that, where you don't really get the full sound as intended. And I keep telling everyone, buy the the most current version of that that album, whether it's Dolby yeah. Atmos on Apple or things like that, and put the headphones on. So I've gotten so many people saying that with your music, it's like they're hearing the song for the first time. And it's cool because they get to hear all these things the way that it was intended yeah. to be. And so that was yeah. the whole thing. People were like, is it la la la? Is, it, uh, is, there, is he beep? Is that his voice in there? Like, we hear her and people are like, I can't tell if Kylie Minogue had Britney Spears going ah, ah, on there because there's, they a both... few, yeah. there's a there's a few of Kylie doing ah, some little kind of bits. But the the general stuff that sounds like somebody ruffling their feet on sand uh, is 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 me underneath the drum track. Yeah, I guess I guess kind of like the whole spatial audio thing is kind of revealing stuff because you know that i'd always do stuff on like multiple layers well i think music these days is very like you know two or three elements going and and that's it whereas i kind of have these i get it all the time people kind of going oh my god i've just heard that little noise that was kind of in there because like my production set quite a bit of time because i'm always i look at fine details like and there's always a little sound that's so buried you can almost can't even hear it but if you took it out, you'd kind of notice that kind of like it wasn't there. So you might listen to it on one level, but you could listen to it, you know, 20 years later and discover, you know, some little noise or something going on that have kind of hidden Easter eggs, kind of little hidden hidden gems for people to find years later. <laughs> well, and that's, that's one of those things too, because I think especially with like Karen Poole and uh, Kathy Dennis, where they had such influence on the sounds and textures and tones of Kylie and Britney that yeah. when you listen to it now, you can hear that additional, like kind of creating that neutral bet, creating that yeah. extra level that they can, these vocals can stand on. Have no fear. We have more with Johnny Douglas coming up and we talk about more of his work with Kylie Minogue and others. Now up next, we have my exclusive interview with Sonstream's Seb Clark. S-O-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Now, this is important. If you are a creator uh, working in the industry, trying to get music out in 2023, trying to figure everything out, I implore you to listen and let other people know about this. Tag your friends. And if you're enjoying the content with the guests that we've had on the original Donald James Rodriguez, please rate our show, the original Donald James Rodriguez. Now, we're going to get right to this. Once again, it's S-O-N. S-T-R-E-A-M, Sonstream. Now back to the show. I will try and keep it simple. I think the uh, half, the problem is half the reason, and half the reason we've got to the situation where we are 
is that it's not simple. It's not a simple story. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of misconceptions about music, musicians, the culture of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's all, and also the internet. I think people are becoming cynical about um, the agenda of the te tech giants now, but it's very late in the day. So so an ecosystem of its own has, has been created, which effectively uses uh, the the whole of the creative industry, really, has lost leaders. So the established um, status quo is, if you like, is the big platform, say, here's all the world's music, uh, and you can have it for, for 10 quid, which is literally an insult anyway. And it's not even mm -hmm. good value for the, for the vast majority of the consumers. But here's all the uh, world's music. And it's only really those uh, the content, the tracks, the albums, the artists who are getting streamed in the millions in a short time frame who are rewarded mm -hmm. by that. Now, I'll be very quick about this. There's two big myths about the music industry. And I can tell you this, and don't get me wrong, like, how can I put it? I am going to basically uh, sponge a conspiracy theory. That doesn't mean I'm a nutty. I don't necessarily believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I'd quite like <laughs> to think that it exists, but I don't believe that it probably does. But, and I'm not saying it's a conspiracy in, in terms of mwahaha. I think mm -hmm. it's just a journey which we've ended up down. And I think that the, the music industry has been inept for 20 years and i think the music industry is now in a situation where which is ironic is the very top people in the industry so the, the industry is contracted i don't know if many many people know this it, the industry is now smaller now not in, taking into account inflation it's smaller now than it was in 1999 mm -hmm. right? but because it's got less industry the people at the top are still making millions upon millions. That's anything from Lucian Grange to the big sellers, Ed Sheeran, etc. So the next myth is that the, the big player out there is Spotify. That's a load of bullshit, right? And mm -hmm. if you don't, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? 100%. It's, it's explicit, which I love. It's so bollocks. It's laughable, right? So by a country mile, by a country mile, the... the 80% plus of all the music streams which get delivered, if you wanted to use that word, per year, are via YouTube ad fund, right? Mm -hmm. So the industry is very keen to say, oh, we're subscription-based. Spotify are very keen to say, oh, yeah, we've got 50% subscription or 60% subscription. Spotify, who, by the way, have been caught out several times obfuscating all their stats mm -hmm. and their details. So not to be trusted. You wouldn't want Daniel Ack being, being the godfather of your kids, would you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, so so you can't trust them. And YouTube uh, have, have been covering up. They haven't released any specific stats about their music streams for over five years because actually it's the elephant in the room in the industry. 80% plus for free. So that's mm. the biggest problem. And the problem it, it now is that you've got a, a situation where um, your average artist, songwriter, musician, etc., etc., they want to promote their music. Culturally, everybody believes that it's all about exposure, which of course it is. Mm -hmm. But they, they, I mean, it's so obscene, it's untrue. So, so you got people who are putting out new music who are actually going to YouTube. They're effectively giving their music away for free, 
YouTube are making money out of it because that's where, because it's driving the traffic to YouTube, so they're making a lot of money out of advertising. What's even worse is your average new startup, musician, band, whatever it might be, will probably pay YouTube to boost, mm -hmm. or they'll pay Facebook or Instagram to boost their views. So, And all they're really doing is paying those tech giants to employ click farms in India to to put a load of... Mm -hmm. You know, thousands of, of, of likes on on a, on a stream. So it, then it appeals to like or satisfies uh, a certain narcissistic streak, which is in a lot of artists and musicians. It has to be said, but actually they're being had left, right, and Krugnut. and that's mm. it's as simple as that, right? Now, if you actually look and t you know, if you take like a big side step from all of this, what's really happening is. It, it, effectively, the music's been given away for free, and that's actually created. It's, it's like a cancer on the very grassroots of how music and music culture is created. Music's part in in everyday society, which is mm -hmm. where which is the breeding ground. That's the learning ground of how people learn to make music. That's been completely undermined. So now you've mm -hmm. got like lots of bedroom producers, lots of people who obey into their own thing trying to push their music. They believe they're getting somewhere, but they're not really, because actually, like I say, they're relying on click farms and all the rest of it. They're not getting the income at the very beginning. They're not. There's no incentive there to keep on going and take the knocks. And frankly, apart from anything else, it just isn't bloody fair. Mm -hmm. It's just as simple as that. It ain't fair. So Sunstream, take a like a side step, and you say, well, why is YouTube the biggest you know, a delivery uh, a platform for music streams. And actually, it's because, again, get rid of another myth. Spotify would like everybody to believe that your average subscriber plays 80 tracks per week, right? Now, there's certainly going to be people out there who do. There's certainly going to be people out there who stream a lot more. But the overwhelming majority of people who want to listen to music are actually 28 plus and over Funnily enough, they're the ones with money. And funnily enough, those are the ones who may pay for Spotify in a household, but more over, most of them know that they've only got like half an hour, an hour whilst they're doing the cleaning mm -hmm. on a Saturday or a Sunday. And so they'll go to YouTube, put up with the bad with the bad adverts, they'll put up with the bad sound, and they'll just find what they want and they'll play it for free. It's not worth 10 quid up front to pay for... 20 minutes worth of music a week. Mm -hmm. And that's why YouTube's the biggest player in town by a country mile. And what occurred to me years ago was if you just, you know, there's lots of ways that the street, uh, the concept of streaming has challenged the very ideas that we have as, you know, you know, the public musicians, whatever, creators and consumers, the very idea of ownership of what you're paying for the music, what you're buying into. And essentially, I had a theory that if the price was right and uh, culturally people's attitudes towards how they interact monetarily with with the internet, with music, uh, if it was made in the right way for them, then you could have a sort of YouTube experience for pennies. And so the way Sunstream works is you play a stream, you pay for a stream. If you don't play a stream, you don't pay for a stream. So some some weeks somebody hasn't got any time, they don't pay anything. If they do pay, uh, play something, not only are they going to pay something, but it's absolutely attributable who they're paying. 
they've clicked on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. So it's mm. Pink Floyd who should get paid. There's no need for a load of complex algorithms splitting the ad fund and the subscription fund, which only offers an opportunity for obfuscation for the tech giants to get away with fleecing even more millions out of everybody anyway. It's a straight deal. You've played Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd should get paid, and you're, you're going to get charged. And if you charge the right amount, which on Sunstream, say it was for an album, and it gets there's two there's different tariffs depending on how where you play it on the website, etc. But essentially, you're going to pay around about two p per track, three p per track, ten p per album. We're talking pennies. So your average music lover who's only got half an hour per week may end up paying about 10, 20, 30p per week for no adverts, no cash up front. Mm-hmm. The person who's, yeah, the people who created the music get paid. Everybody's happy. It's just, it's, it's crackers. It's that simple. Well, and I think you just, you brought up a, a great point because I think sometimes people go, oh, well, this is a better deal because I'm paying $10 a month on Spotify for this and that. But when you actually break it down and I reached out to a bunch of listeners, I was like, how often do you sit down and choose the song you're listening? Because that's the important thing. Because other people are like in the car, they can turn on the radio sort of thing. Because uh, a lot of people said when they're in the car, they're not playing Spotify, Apple Music. They're just playing whatever radio station is on. And then when they broke it down, some of them are like, maybe 15 songs a month that I choose to like, that I'm like, oh, I want to hear that. And I was like, well, yep. just break that, break that down. I go, you're paying 50, you know, $10 for 15 songs are, you know, and, and do you, do you see any difference in that or anything? They're like, well, I guess I didn't because they were thinking, oh, we have millions of, I'm like, but you're not listening to millions of songs. Correct. You're not listening to 99.9% of things. And the other part of it is so many people are like, wait, I thought YouTube would be the best way. And to your point, it's like these young independent artists. And I say young and starting out the career of releasing music that so many of them reached out to me and said, I'm losing money by releasing songs on these things. And on YouTube, people find it fun to be like, oh, I'm putting up all these demos of these other artists and it's fine. And they're not sound coded or anything. It's like, no one's making money except for YouTube. Once again, you're taking money out of the pocket of of these people and when you break it down that way you go oh well i do want to support the artists that i like because at a point if artists musicians if they can't afford to create music we're not going to have musicians and we heard that like with a ton of artists that they were like i stopped creating music because i had to pay for school for my kids or i groceries and then when i broke it down i go now everyone look at what you're paying and what you're getting they're saying yes you get millions of songs you're only paying $10 for it, but are you listening to those million songs to get that thing or absolutely? And there's always the ads, no matter what people there's, there's places that are like, Oh, you can get this, but you still have some ads in there. And then you get, I played this song. Now I'm getting this other song and I didn't want to hear that. I may not be in yeah. the mood from going from Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin. I may go from Pink Floyd to Janet Jackson. You know what I mean? Like my mind thinks weird sort of thing, but Having that control and breaking it down that way, I think, makes the most sense. So can I ask you this then? Yes. How do you all handle artists that want to, uh, the two things, how can the consumer go to Sonstream? How can, can, is it international? Can anybody do it? Like, what are those logistics? Yeah. Right. So 
So it is it, it is a quirk of the journey, really, and, and a testament to how good how strong the RDU is, is, I suppose, that we're still here talking about Sunstream and we're still making progress. But we are very much a, a, an outsider entity within the industry. Uh, we certainly have got to do everything ourselves. So how could I put it? We've got like two or three developers <laughs> who are all uh, working freelance. Spotify have got hundreds. So And YouTube, even bloody more, you know. So, so things are moving forward, but it is taking time. So, the, at the moment, uh, the apps are completely out of date. But by the time this interview goes out, they might be uh, uh, updated. Uh, we are working on it. The website is constantly being progressed, and that's your best visit right as we speak this week. Uh, the website can be accessed anywhere in the world. The only anybody can sign up to it anywhere in the world and pay for it in all the you know the usual currencies, so that's fine. The only thing which I'd say is is that they will be charged at UK streaming rates. Now, what by that I don't mean we're not like any other platform. There's, that doesn't mean like it's ten quid, so nine dollars or whatever the the exchange rate rate is at the minute. Because you're paying per stream, so if somebody in the in the states was to sign up and they were to play an album which cost them ten p, they'd be charged ten p, which would then, you know, in the merchant banking behind the scenes, convert that to to however many cents it is. So it's that. So it's fairly it works, but it, at the moment everything is at UK rates. Now that's fine for people in the states. In fact, it's going to be really good value for them. It's not so fine if you're a music lover in India. You're going to be paying. It's going to be very expensive for you, mm-hmm. so, if you know what I mean. So it is. Yep. It is international, but it's not exactly the most advanced level of internationalism, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. For starting out artists, so this is this might be an interesting thing for you to know. So when we priced up the various tariffs on Sunstream, we did so. Uh, with an eye on people starting out. So what I will say about Sunstream is that uh, the platform is egalitarian, both in the way it charges people and the way it pays out. So if you play, um, so, you know, if you write a song and you record it and you put it out, somebody plays it, you'll get, they'll get charged and you'll get paid exactly the same amount of money as if Paul McCartney has got a song on there which gets played and charged. Mm-hmm. So it's it's abs- that's what I mean. But we did the pricing, so on average, if like you know somebody puts a track out who's a, a starting out artist and they get basically get like five hundred to a thousand plays, it's generating like in, in British money, you know, a hundred quid plus. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. it's like equivalent. I'm going to maybe show my age here, but equivalent to the days when they would do a gig in a pub. They'd sell the CDs and the cassettes for a bit of extra money, and they'd be walk away with fifty extra quid at the end of the end of the night, and that's where we, you know, how we price it like that on purpose because, like we've been saying, when you're starting out, that's the one time you need that money is really important to you. It's a, mm. it's important as an incentive. It's important because it's got to pay for all the guitar strings and the 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 new the new amp, the keyboard, the the software, whatever it might be, it's a, making music is not cheap. Mm-hmm. So it, 
certainly should not be given away for free. Is yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I wanted the the listeners to know, because the great thing is the show, you know, has charted on Apple Podcasts in over 60 countries worldwide. So there are people in all different countries saying, how do I access this or how can I do that? And so this is one of those things that I think the important thing is everyone remember like the exchange rate sort of thing. But what I loved is that when I would see the, the post on Twitter where it would be like, hey, this is how many straight, these are our top 10 tracks. This is how much, yeah. how many streams we got. This is what, you know, some stream got paid and this is what Spotify would do. And I, what I thought was interesting is as I was looking before, I saw it was like almost Spotify was paying like a 25th of that. And so then I thought it reversed. I said, so many people are, were getting, you know, let's say 2000 streams on a YouTube video. Let's just say that it's like, if you yeah. could get those same people to go to SoundStream, they're making a shit ton more period because a lot of people and a lot of the people that i've talked to and they're like how do we support these artists i'm like this is clear cut and what i like is the transparency that you all have i've talked to different people from different um song advocacy groups in the united states and so many of them even at the height of doing this researching couldn't tell you what the actual breakdown is for every single thing or that one song that one time some places are like well of course, let's say like Taylor Swift coming out, she might have a higher, you know, royalty. I'm just making up generic terms, but they're like, those yeah. things come into play. Cause they're like, well, you're indie, you're going to go on this side. You're going to, you're going to get paid less because we're giving more to this. And there's no transparency. What I like is that if you, and everyone follow them on Twitter is that you see those top 10 songs. And what was great is that like, I love that they were, they were artists that I, that I liked. You you mentioned Pink yeah. Floyd, Pink <laughs> Floyd, the birds, you know what I mean? Crosby, Stills, Nash, yeah. these are artists that I think we still listen to and enjoy today. And also in many of these things, and this is what I want the listeners to hear too, is that like, there was a time when yes, songs would be super short, but you look at a lot of these artists that you've, that you continually have in the top 10, these are not two minute songs. So you're getting more, yep. do you know what I mean? So you're getting more yeah. than that of just enjoying that. But I want, I wanted to point that out because the listeners go to the the Twitter account and I'm going to be sharing all the rest of that information on there. But I like that you're the most transparent I've seen than any other entity I've seen in general. And that's me doing years and years yeah. of work where I couldn't tell you what somebody makes. Some people might be like, well, my publisher sends this whole chunk of money and they're like here, but it's like, well, what was you? And they're like, I don't know how to read those sorts of things and everything. This is very clear cut. It's like, Hey, if you're looking at this, it shows you you're transparent. These are the actual streams. This is what was paid. Transparency. And I think we need that. Have no fears. We have more with Seb Clark coming up very soon. Don't forget to subscribe to get all of the latest information and episodes. And once again, a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. And for the guests and for the listeners. For the listeners, this is something great. For every listen we get within the first 24 hours of release on Apple Podcast. We get items donated to the charities that we partner with. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram to learn more information. The dot original dot dot. My name is James Rodriguez, and this is the original dot. The original.